And please can the rest of us find in our Bibles Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. And in the Church Bibles, this is found on page 1149. We'll pick up from verse 10. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment... This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So uh, please do keep your Bible open, and let's now ask God to help us as we consider his word. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather here uh, this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, please, would you help me to teach your word in a helpful and good way? And Lord, please, would you move us to serve you better as a result of what we hear today? And any that do not yet know Christ, please move them to come to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we return to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've been here previous weeks, you'll know that this, this chapter, in this chapter, Paul urges the believers in Corinth to contribute generously to a collection which he was putting together for the believers in Jerusalem. Now this teaching... Uh, arose out of a very specific situation where the Jewish church, the largely Jewish church in Jerusalem, uh, was, was suffering hardship and Paul was urging the largely Gentile churches to contribute to a collection, uh, not only to meet the needs of the Jewish church, but also to show that they were all one church together. Now, we are not in a similar situation today. Uh, that the situation we are in is different. But nevertheless, there are lessons 
about giving that we can learn from this chapter and the following chapter, which I think we can quite readily transfer over to our current lives in our situation today. Now, last week, we were considering a phrase in, in verse 10, where the apostle said, this benefits you. This is profitable for you. And we were thinking, how is it that giving benefits us? How is, it that, how is, it, how is giving profitable for us? And uh, we saw that, that there are three ways in which giving is profitable for us. First of all, because as we give, as we learn to give generously, so we experience God providing for us. It's not that we get rich through giving, which contrary to what some say, but we do experience, as we start to be generous and free, we experience God replenishing our supplies so that we can continue to be generous. So that's a wonderful thing to experience when you experience God's uh, wonderful provision for your life. Secondly, we benefit from giving because when we give, when we give practically, we find so often that we benefit spiritually. Our understanding of spiritual things grows and increases as we learn uh, to be generous materially. But then thirdly, we saw that we benefit from giving because when we give of what we have in this world, if we're Christians, we become, we gain treasure in heaven. So that when we die, we will receive a rich welcome into paradise from all the people that we've helped uh, from, our, uh, from our generosity. And we will also experience God's approval and uh, we'll have a richer experience of life at the resurrection. Now, the verses that, we were, that we're thinking about today are verses 12 through to 15. And in these verses, we see three further reasons that the apostle gives for being generous. The first is that we should be generous in order to follow through on, and in order to fulfill good intentions that we may have had. We see this from verse 11. Secondly, we should be generous in order to make an acceptable sacrifice to God. We see that in verse 12. And thirdly, we should be generous in order to help there to be equality between believers, verses 13 to 15. So let's think about these things. First of all then, we should be generous in order to fulfill our good intentions. Uh, verses 10 and 11. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago 
started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing of it, completing it out of what you have. Uh, Paul commends the the believers in Corinth because when they had first heard about the situation among the believers in Jerusalem, they were among the first to say, yes, we want to contribute. And it seems that they had started to put some some money aside in order to uh, meet this need. But it seems that what had happened was that they had failed to follow through on what they said they were going to do. They said, oh, we're going to make a big contribution. But then that didn't happen. Now, we don't know why. Maybe because Paul wasn't around anymore. Maybe they they forgot about the situation in Jerusalem. Maybe perhaps as other pressing needs were presented in front of them. They, th- they thought, oh, I've got to spend money on this, I've got to spend money. And they forgot about the, the promise that they'd made to contribute to the church in Jerusalem. But one way or another, somehow or other, where they had said, yes, we will contribute, actually, when it came to it, they, they'd stalled. They'd failed to follow through on what they'd said they were going to do. Now, I wonder if that sounds familiar perhaps to some of us. Perhaps you, you see, you hear of a, a situation amongst other Christians in another part of the world. You say, oh yes, yes, I'm going to contribute to that. And maybe you make an initial donation and then and you say, I'm going to be contributing every month and then somehow it falls flat. It doesn't follow through. Or maybe you're aware of some need in the church, Sim- similarly, and you, and you think, oh, I'm going to be giving regularly to the church, but then it doesn't, it doesn't happen. There is a saying, isn't there, um, about, you know, that people say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, people say, oh yes, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to follow the Lord. But then they never follow through. Now, you could perhaps adapt that and say, the road to meanness is paved with good intentions. Sometimes we can say, oh yeah, I'm going to be really generous. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But we sometimes fail to follow through on what we intend to to do. Now we learn from Paul here that it, we should bring to completion what we've said we will do. If we said we're going to be giving, we should we should complete what uh, the law, what, what we have said uh, to God and to others, perhaps that we have done. Why why should we complete what we start? Well, let me give you some reasons. Uh, First of all, we should complete what we've started because that's what God does. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That's what God does. God doesn't just start a work and then leave it half done and never get it finished. When God starts to work in us, he finishes it off. So if you've started, whatever it is, a project or or some 
act of service that you want to do, uh, bring it to completion. And that applies to uh, giving as well. Second reason is that if we start something and don't finish it, that can be dispiriting for all around us, including ourselves. Um, Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. You know, perhaps you you said to a member of your family, I'm going to get that done. But then it doesn't happen, doesn't happen, doesn't happen, doesn't happen. That can be discouraging. Uh, Whereas if we expedite that thing, we get that thing done, then that is encouraging for for the other person, and it's encouraging for ourselves as well. And I'm speaking here as one of the worst at doing that, so I need to to learn to apply uh, this in my own family life. But this is, it's it's good to get things done, isn't it? Um, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to act, uh, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow I will give you. When you have it now. If you've got the means to do that, that help that you've promised, well, do it. Don't put it off. Um, there's a saying which is said about Greek culture. Now, apologies to anybody who has Greek culture. I think we may have one or two here. But it's said that a favorite expression among the Greeks is manana, manana, I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if that's fair or not. If it is unfair, uh, forgive me. But, you know, sometimes we can have a manana culture, can't we? Oh, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, the better thing today is, is to say, do not put off till tomorrow what you can do today. If you can do it today, do it. Get on with it. And then another reason why it's good to fulfill what we said we'll do is from the point of view of faithfulness, keeping our promises. Uh, Again, that's what God does, doesn't it? God is a faithful God. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. God keeps his word. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and, and, and he will not fulfill it? God does what he says he will do. So if we said we'll do something, then we should do it. So there's the first thing then. Uh, we should be generous because especially if we've made a commitment to do to give in a certain way because uh, it's good to fulfill commitments that we've made now secondly we should be generous in order to make a pleasing sacrifice to god have a look now at uh, verse 12 for if the readiness is there it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now notice he says there that 
if we give, if we're Christians and we give, then this is acceptable to God. By the way, for anybody who's arrived, it's, it's, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, page 1149 in the church Bible. So, the question then is, to whom is that gift acceptable? Well, the answer is, it's to God that that gift is acceptable. Now, this idea, of course, comes from the Old Testament sacrifices. God gave very precise instructions as to how the sacrifices in the Old Testament system were to be offered. And it would, they would only be accepted by God if they, were, if they were given in the way which God said that they should be given. So, for example, in Leviticus chapter 22 and verse 20, we read, You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. So God, God uh, commanded his people that there were certain rules that they had to follow as they brought their sacrifices. And if they followed these rules, then what they offered would be acceptable. Now, of course, we live in a new covenant age and no longer are animal sacrifices offered because Jesus with the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, animal sacrifices and food offerings and the whole sacrificial system, they've all come to an end. But that doesn't mean that we don't offer sacrifices. We offer now the sacrifice of our obedience to God. Not in order to pay for sins, because our sins have been paid for, but as a way of expressing our gratitude to God. So in Romans 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we are to give ourselves to God in order to be that acceptable Sacrifice, And part of that, part of giving ourselves to God, is that we make, we, we are generous with what we have, with our financial uh, means. When we give to others who are in need, or we give to support gospel work, this becomes a pleasing sacrifice to God, an acceptable sacrifice to God. So Paul says uh, in, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul thanks the believers in Philippi for the gifts that they sent. And he says uh, those were gifts in order to support his ministry. And he says about those gifts, in verse 18 of Philippians 4, they are a fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So what we see then is that when you give to others, 
you're actually giving to God. You're making an offering to God. You're saying thank you to God. You're saying, Lord, I want to express my love for you by showing this love to my brothers and sisters. So Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, do you remember how Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 25 about what's going to happen when he comes again? Uh, people call it the parable of the, sh- of the sheep and the goats, but it's not actually a parable. It's actually a prophecy about what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. You remember how he said that when he comes, he'll gather the whole world in front of him and he will separate people into two groups, the sheep on, on, on one side, who are the believers, and the goats on the other side. And he said that when he comes, he'll say to the to those who are on his right-hand side, the sheep, those who belong to him, he said he'll, he'll say to them, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And he said, the righteous will say, well, when did we see you hungry and give you food? When, when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger welcoming you? And so on. And Jesus said, he will say, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. So when you are Showing that kindness to somebody which enables that person, maybe you feel a believer in another situation is in need, you, you, you dip into your pocket, you help that person who's in need, you're actually helping the Lord. Not helping the Lord, he doesn't need your help, but you're showing kindness to the Lord, you're showing love to the Lord. And that will be noted by the Lord and that will be rewarded by him. So this is an acceptable sacrifice. But you might say, hang on a minute. Surely we're all sinners. Surely all our righteous acts are filthy rags. So how can we offer anything to God that's acceptable? Surely nothing is acceptable to God. Well, it would be. Except for the fact that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he not only paid for... Uh, the corruption, our, our actual sins, but he also cleansed away the imperfections of our good deeds. See, but for Jesus' death on the cross, yeah, any good that you try to do would be utterly unacceptable. But what happens is that when you trust in Jesus, the imperfections of your good deeds are cleansed and purged so that. Your good deeds that you're trying to do to serve the Lord are able to be presented to God as an acceptable sacrifice. Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't that give a motivation to do good deeds? Whether it's obviously generosity, but whatever good deed, evangelism, helping people out, praying for people. Because we think, well, all I do is so pathetic. And it is pathetic. And it's so corrupt. Yes, it is corrupt. 
And we've got all sorts of bad motivations. Yes, that's right. But the wonderful thing is that if you believe in Jesus, those impurities are cleansed away and your, what you do for the Lord becomes acceptable and pleasing to him. Now, this is something which I think is not often understood these days, but it's something which the, the, our, our ancestors, the, the Puritans, understood very, very well. And then you'll find it in the Great Confessions, the Westminster Confession. You'll find it in the, in the 1699 Baptist Confession as well. If you're going to read one paragraph from the 1689 Confession, it says this. Believers are accepted through Christ, and thus their good works are also accepted in him. This acceptance does not mean that our good works are completely blameless and irreproachable in God's sight. Instead, God views them in his son. And so he's pleased to accept and to reward what is that which is sincere, even though it is accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Isn't that great good news? What you offer to the Lord failingly and falteringly, is acceptable. So when you, when you make that, that, that off, you know, maybe you help out that other Christian and you feel so guilty because you say, oh, I've, I've gone and sinned because I felt a bit proud about what I've done. Or something like that. Oh, Lord, forgive me. But still even so, that has been accepted uh, for the sake of Christ. So, uh, now, also, notice what he says there. That it's accepted not according to what a person does not have, but according to what he desired to give. Let's just look again at this verse 12. If the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You might think, well, I'm really quite hard up. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got this bill to pay, I've got that bill to pay, and this is quite genuine. You've got these bills to pay. And, uh, you know, you've got a family to provide for and your income's pretty low. You, and, and you think, I really would love to be able to give thousands of pounds to this course, but I can only really afford maybe, maybe 50 pounds or less or maybe just a fiver. And you think, oh, I feel so bad because I'd really love to be able to do more. Well, the wonderful thing is that the Lord knows this and the Lord understands What's, what's important as far as the Lord is concerned is that that is that desire. He knows if, if, if actually you're not able to do more than what might seem to be very, in, in absolute terms, might seem to be not very much at all. But, but he knows that and he understands that. And he still is pleased with that, quotes, little that you're able to do. Do you remember the story about the poor widow? Do you remember this lady who was in the temple? It's recorded in Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. Do you remember how, how um, Jesus saw this lady? Well, first we saw the rich people. They come along with their, 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 like, their sacks full of gold and they pour them into the, into the, into the, into the offerings and great, make a great show of it. And, and, and everybody thinks, oh, look at that person giving all those great gifts. But then this, this little old lady comes along and she puts in two little, small little copper coins. And Jesus said about it, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. 
For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So it's a tiny gift in absolute terms, but it was precious in God's sight. The Lord knew, the Lord knew her circumstance. He knew that she was making a big sacrifice in order to make that gift. And that was pleasing to God. So here's the second thing then. That when we, if we're Christians, when we give to other people or to the Lord's work, we are making a sacrifice which is acceptable to God, even if it doesn't seem to be very much in human terms. Now then the third thing is this. We should be generous because then it will help there to be more equality between believers. Verses 13 to 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, the other translations, generally, where, where our translation has fairness, they normally, most of the other translations have equality. And I, I was not quite, I was thinking, that's quite a strong word, Equality. And, I, and I, I checked it up and looked it up. And, and sure enough, that is what the word means. It, it means equal or equality. Uh, so let me give you a couple of other examples. Remember the parable of the workers in the vineyard? And they all got paid the same. And, 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 and in, in that, as Jesus told the story, Matthew 20, verse 12, the, the people who were, who, who'd been taken on first, they complained. They said, these last worked only one hour, yet you've made them equal to us who've borne the heat burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now that's the same word as what we've got here. Or Philippians 2 verse 6, very famous verse about the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be clung unto. Same word again. So here... Paul is saying that uh, we should give in order that there might be equality between believers. And uh, he quotes then from Exodus chapter 16, which we read earlier in our service. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. God saw that everybody in the, among the people of Jerusalem, of the, among the Israelites, had enough. Whether it happened through sharing or whether it happened through God sort of supernaturally altering how much was in each person's pot, I don't know. But he made sure that everybody had enough. Now, it's not that they were all like, you know, sort of, there's an equality in the sense of wealth. You know, I mean, there were some rich Israelites, some poor Israelites. But in terms of their food, in terms of their needs, they, all, they were all provided for. And this is something which 
which I think we, 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 we can learn from, the, from this, that, that there should be this desire to see that, that each, each one within the congregation is, 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 is provided for, and also to, this Paul was talking here about inter-church giving, to, to see, to, 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 there should be a desire to see that those who are suffering in another part of the world uh, have their needs provided for. And there are means by which we can do this. You know, there are, some of us know of, of, of um, a believer who visits um, other believers, other churches in, in Sri Lanka and, and takes, uh, takes gifts uh, to help provide uh, for the needs of believers in those churches. And, and uh, probably there are other means as well that we can that we can uh, we can think of where this uh, can be done, and uh, we have this this wonderful example in in, in um, the Book of Acts, don't we? About in the early day, in the days of the early church, when when there was this, where really poverty was banished from within the church. Uh, Acts two verse forty four. Uh, all who believed were together and had, ever, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this was not sort of imposed on the church. This was not laid down by the apostles. And they, and, and they, weren't, they weren't saying, no, you've got to, you know, the richer people, you've got to, they've got to give up everything they've got and and. and there's got to be communism. No, it wasn't that at all. Because we know from in, in Acts chapter 5, with Ananias and Sapphira, when they were disciplined for pretending that they'd brought gifts to the church when they hadn't, what they were disciplined for was not for the fact that they, that they had held some money back. What they were disciplined for was the fact that they pretended they were being more generous than they were. And Paul and Peter says to them in Acts chapter 5 verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain at your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So it's not that there should be some sort of enforced communism, some forced egalitarianism, or that the church should impose a tax on its members and, and take from one and give to the other. No. But rather, if we become aware of a need and we're able to respond to that need, uh, then we should, we should do what we can to respond to it. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And there was Lazarus in his gated mansion, dressed in very expensive clothing, dining like a king every night. And there was Lazarus lying outside his gate, homeless, couldn't afford any health care, and would have loved to have eaten the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Mm. 
what did the rich man do? Answer, he did nothing. He just carried on enjoying his dinner every night and just completely ignored the fact that we've got this, this, this poor man lying outside his gate. I'm sure that Jesus intended us to be rather shocked by that. That cannot be right that that happened. It's not that it's wrong for him to be rich, but for him to show no concern at all, that cannot have been right. John writes in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And James similarly writes, James 2 verse 15, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So if we have means, and if we hear of a believer who's struggling to find food to eat, or struggling with some other basic need, then we should do what we can to respond to that need. Unless there is some obvious reason why that person is in that state, maybe because of laziness or because of spending all his money on alcohol and so on. Now, it's interesting that this cuts both ways because this encouragement to give to those who are in need also means that we should feel under an obligation to give to those who aren't in need. Now, um, just, just listen again what he says. He says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need and their abundance may, that may, so that their abundance may supply your need so that there may be fairness or there may be equality. Now, it may be that you're on the mailing list for some so-called evangelist and from time to time you get a, a mailing through your inbox and this evangelist, so-called evangelist is saying to you, uh, please, I want you to give generously because I need to buy a second aeroplane so I can fly around the world at, at top speed and I can take the gospel to these people. And my limousine needs a bit of repair and my swimming pool in the mansion, well, it's starting to leak and I need you to help me to, 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 to show that I'm an apostle of God by, by, by meeting my need. Well, you can... You can junk that email straight away. And you, if it comes as a physical letter, you can throw it in the bin. Don't feel the slightest compunction whatsoever to give to somebody who's already fine. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility as a Christian is to give to somebody who's in need. Uh, if anything, those, t those evangelists should be, should, be, should be giving... To all their supporters, so if you say, "Look, here's a here's a check to all of you lot, two hundred pounds each. Uh, thank you for your support up till now." That's the way it should be, if anything. Okay, so just draw. Let's draw this together. Then we've seen three further reasons why we should be generous. Number one, we should be generous 
in order to fulfill our good intentions. Secondly, we should be generous in order to make an acceptable sacrifice to God. Thirdly, we should be generous, especially with other believers, in order to help there to be equality between believers. Not in the sense of a a hard and fast equality of wealth, but in the sense that everybody has enough. Everybody's got enough food. Everybody is clothed. Their basic needs are met. Well, what I've been talking about this morning is only possible if you're a true Christian. Especially this thing about offering a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. You can only do that if you are a true believer. Let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Have your sins been washed away? Have you been born again? If not, then come to Christ. Wash your sins away in his blood. Let him change your life so that you might uh, be generous as he would have you to be generous and so that your generosity might be acceptable to him. But if you are a Christian, let me ask you this. Is there perhaps a resolution that you made some time ago that you were going to give to this or that cause and you've not actually followed through on it? Well, hear what the apostle says. Follow through on that desire, that intention that you've had. Now, something might be something as simple and practical, you know, as filling out a bank standing order. Well, that can be a, a good thing to do because then you are, you're going to make sure that you do what you've said you're going to do. If you are a Christian, uh, be encouraged that your efforts to help others are acceptable to God. And if you're a Christian, look for those who are most in need. Those true believers and those causes, those gospel causes that are most in need and seek to to give, to provide for the needs of others. That there might be, I hate, well, perhaps I shouldn't use the word leveling up but because it's such a politically loaded term, but some sort of equality, some sort of um, evenness in terms of, of, of the provision for the basic needs of the Lord's people. Well, I hope and pray that that, that is helpful for us and that the Lord will use it, what has been said this morning, to change not only our thinking, but also our spending. You know, it's, it's when, somebody once said, it's when... It's when a person's spending habits start to change that you really know that person's been converted. That's true, isn't it? When, it's, when, it's when our financial priorities change that that's, that really is the sign very often that, that something genuine has happened.